Welcome to Yoga Wisdom, questions about how to live your yoga in daily life, answered by Integral Yoga founder Sri Swami Satchidananda. Yoga Pata Pramana Marishi. Mainly he recommended the path of wisdom, path of self-analysis. Who am I? Dr. Mishra, when he suggested some topics, he suggested the Jnana Yoga as the last one. So I'll take this question as an excuse to say a little bit about that. It's a very direct approach. One need not be doing anything else except to analyze the situation. When people come to him and ask, how can I meditate or how can I do this or that, he will say, who wants to do that? He would ask. Me? Oh, me? Who is that me? Who are you? He will invariably come to this question, who are you? And naturally, oh, I am Mr. Subramanyam. Oh, Mr. Subramanyam, since when? <laughs> huh? oh, that's what the name given to me. Oh, the name given to you. So since then you have become, you became Mr. Subramanyam. Before that, makes people think. Before that, I was a baby. I was a girl or a boy. Huh? Before that, I was an ick. I was inside. People address me as an ick. What is it going to be? <laughs> so, he wants people to analyze, self-analyze. So, who am I? In every situation, when you say, when you think, uh, or when you say, I am hungry, question, who is hungry? Am I the hunger, hungry person? Or I know that somebody is hungry in me? It's a, it's a very direct approach. Always insist on your true nature. That means you are the aware of everything. You are the knower. You know that you are hungry. You know that you are happy. You know that you are unhappy. Your knowing is common between all these changes. You knew that you were a baby. Now you know that you are an adult. And that you know that you are going to be old. See? The knowing was never a baby never an adult, and it's never going to be old. See? So there is some, something that knows everything. It is that what's the true self. You are the knower. Even when you say, I do not know, how do you know that you do not know? 
Hmm? You know that you do not know. There is the constant. It is to know that knower always. To put yourself in that position is what you call knowledge. It's a continuous analysis. Of course, he never denied the other devotional approaches because he himself sang number of devotional songs about the Lord of Arunachala, the place where he lived. But his favorite approach is this always. And of course he didn't really give big lectures. He will just pinpoint a few things and he will say a word here and there and make people to work on themselves. And this being a direct approach, it needs a very analytical mind and a very clear mind. If you are already got a sort of fixation that you are a man, you are a woman, you are this, you are that, then it is very difficult for you to get out of it. So it needs a very sharp, clear thinking and a sort of drastic analysis. You shouldn't be hesitating in chopping off everything that you might have attached to. It's a sort of severe operation, drastic operation, like a doctor operating on a patient, maybe his own child. If he is attached to, he cannot perform the operation. So that's why Seldom doctors operate on their own kids and kin. They call somebody else. The attachment. So we are attached to our body, we are attached to our mind, our own intelligence and this and that. So we find it hard to separate. No, that's not me. So that's why it's called a very direct approach and uh, it's a very difficult approach also in a way. Jnana Yoga, the path of wisdom. So that's why people are allowed and asked to follow the other path so that they can keep the mind more clear and detached. Then with the clear mind they can get into that thought later on. That's why Jnana Yoga is always sort of final one, I should say. Even the great Acharya Shankara was a great Advaiti, path of wisdom, path of Jnana Yoga. He always talked in that high level, Deho Naham, Jeevo Naham, Pratyakabanna, Dhammai Vaham, and so on. But with all that, after the writing, after the talking, he will come back to sit in front of that goddess. Saraswati and worship. In his writing he would say formless, nameless. He even have argued with that Mandana Mishra for all his ritualistic practices. At the end of the day you would see him sitting in front of Sharada, Sharada, please guide me. I am your child. Devotion always comes. 
that's the easiest, simpler, because as I said earlier, we were all beings of love. We came in love, we live in love, and we end in love. So it's easy to express the devotion, convert that mundane love into spiritual love. And when that love predominates in our life, we resign everything to the Beloved. We become ourselves free. It's all for you. It's all for you. I owe nothing. I own nothing. So you are relieved and the mind becomes so calm and clean. Then you easily slip into that high level of wisdom. So that is what Ramana Maharshi stood for. Could you please speak about pranayama and is it necessary to do this before we meditate? Pranayama, apart from its bringing in more vitality to the system, it calms the mind. That's very important. By proper, slow, deep breathing, which you call Nadi Suddhi, or Laku, Breathing, anuloma viloma. There are so many technical terms for that. Simple, slow, deep breathing alternate with mild retention. It calms the mind because the breath and mind they function very closely. If the mind gets agitated, the breath will get agitated, and vice versa. You can see in your own very life. All of a sudden, if you get a shocking news, you watch your breath, it becomes very heavy. If somebody uses an unpleasant word, you get angry, and then you breathe heavily. It's palpitation. That means thought forces have a close connection with the breath. In your biofeedback, you could easily see that. And the mind calms down, the breath also calms down. But technically speaking, before you learn to control the mind, you can easily regulate the breath. Because breath is grosser than mind. If you put the body, the breath, and the mind, and compare, the mind is very subtle and a little gross is the breath, and much more gross is the body. They are one and the same stuff in different levels. Don't think that uh, the body is totally different from your mind. It's like uh, uh, steam, water and ice. Stuff is the same, different density. And they are interconnected. And the body functions by the force of the breath, and the breath moves by the force of the thought. So the movement in the body, in the person, begins with the thinking and ends up in the body as an action. Thought, word, and deed. 
It's something like an automobile. You all know motor car, how they move to the drum and then from the drum to the wheel. See, it starts with the piston, ends up with the wheel and then because of the movement of the wheel the whole car moves. Now we know at least the movement started at the piston. Now if you want to stop the car, where do you apply the brake? At the piston, where the movement started? Hmm? Where? At the wheel. Where it manifested enough. At its maximum manifestation. The piston movement was very subtle. The wheel movement was its zenith. Because it is easier that way. You can control the gross movement easily than to control the minute movement, the subtle movement. If by any chance you are going to apply the brake at the piston, then all you have to do is to pick up all the engine parts on the road. So using the same technology, we come here to Hatha Yoga. The physical movement is the body, though it begins with the thought. So to control the thought, you control the bodily movements by your asanas. Then the next, the breath. And through the breath, you go to the mind. Sage Thirumula says, Manmanam engundu vayivum angundu. Wherever the mind goes, the breath follows and vice versa. So, pranayama is a very important part, a preliminary practice to do the meditation. That's why if you study the Hindu rituals, it's always Whatever practice you do, puja or meditation or anything, you begin with a, a permanent, well comfortable seat, asana siddhi, and then regulate the breathing. Do the pranayama, regulate the mind, calm the mind, and then allow the mind to go into meditation. Even in our daily life, if you are agitated over something, Immediately take a few slow, deep breathing. Within a couple of minutes you will see the mind calm down. It's a very efficient practice. So that's why pranayama has more physical benefit as well as the subtle mental benefit. Okay? So always before your japa or meditation, spend a, even a minute or two in regulating, doing some Nadi Suddhi, putting your entire mind on that. In fact, the uh, one approach in Buddhism is mostly called Burmese way of practice. They sit and observe the breath. Even before the breath, 
they go to the very movement of the stomach, the abdominal movement, up and down, which is caused by the breathing. They call it anapanasati in Pali language. I think uh, even here some, some of the Zen practices, eh, they ask you to sit and observe the up and down movement and then slowly then go into the breath and then the thought. So pranayama is a very important practice in our life. How do we purge out our karma? Is it possible that if we make a mistake that by repenting or through prayer, or is there some way that we can purge it out without having to experience the effect? Well, if the repentance itself is enough to pay for the karma, we are paid. Because it is the, the, the mental agony, hmm? repentance. Hmm? You made a mistake. You are awfully bad. You feel so sorry for that. Hmm? It's not a physical punishment. The mind is already being punished by your own repentance. By that suffering, you purge out your karma. You need not always go through, but it all depends upon how big the karma is. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to say what karma will be purged in what way, within how many days or how many minutes. But whatever it is, let us face it. We did it, we are ready to face it. You do repent. If that is the end of it, fine. Or if something more has to come, let it come. Accept it happily. Yes, I deserve that. I did it. I have to purge it out. I ate it. Somebody cannot vomit it for me. Huh? Isn't it so? Huh? It's I who did that. I have to face it. Accept it beautifully, courageously. And the very courage itself will make the pain reduced a lot. Because you know why you are accepting the pain. Hmm? You are happy about accepting it. So the pain is no more a pain. That's why. The pain need not always bring suffering. No. The pain sometimes brings gain also. If you know it. I give you an example. Two girls go into a clinic. One complains about a stomach pain and wants the doctor to get rid of the pain. He says, give me something to get rid of the pain. Immediately after that, the other girl comes and says, doctor, I must have had pain, even yesterday itself. I don't seem to be having it. Please induce some pain. You know who that girl could be? Who could that be? 
the one who goes to the doctor asking for a little pain. Huh? The mother who is expecting again. Right? That's it. She should have gotten the gain yesterday itself. The delivery time was over. Hmm? She didn't get the delivery. So she wanted to know where the delay is. So she goes asking for pain. The other one goes to get rid of the pain. So she is happy in getting the pain because she knows the gain. So the pain need not be always painful. If you know how hot, if you want to know how hot a thing is, you just touch it. It burns you. Oh yes, it's hot. You, you immediately think of this, you forget the pain there. Because you, you wanted to test that. But if you do it by mistake, ah, you do that. Right? That's, that's the difference. Purposely accepting the pain means you are free from the pain. That's why if we accept the results of our karma and say, I did it, I have to undergo that. I have to purge it out. And that is what you call penance. If suffering comes to you, you should know that, yes, sometimes you may not even know why this sort of suffering is coming to you, for what purpose, what did you do? You don't need to know that. If you have not done anything now, you should have done something before. That is where we believe in the previous lives also. Otherwise, nothing will come. If you don't deserve that, no gain or pain will come to you. The cosmic law is like that. Nothing will come to you if you do not deserve. You must have done something to get that. So accept it. Well, probably I must have done something before. I am accepting it. Let me purge it out. Karma should be understood that way. And know that karma should be purged out. No one should be, uh, should try to avoid or escape from the karma. If you escape, you are putting another karma of escaping. You have to pay double. Are there any other helpful hints or suggestions you could give us to make our meditation easier or more one-pointed? is what you call concentration or dharana, the Sanskrit term. But the meditation means entire mind is on it continuously for a chosen time limit. It could be anything, but it should be always something elevating. And if the meditator meditates on the meditated, to be meditated, there are three things in meditation. The meditator, the meditation, and the meditated. See? The object that you meditate upon, the subject as you, the meditator, 
and the process of meditation. This is called Triputi, the Trinity you can call it. If this process continues for a sufficient time, gradually the three melts into one. That means there is no process of meditation, but the meditated and the meditator becomes one and the same. That is what you mean by, as you think, so you become. I and my father were one and the same. And that is what you call yoga or samadhi. But that samadhi will come automatically. It's not by your effort. Your effort is to meditate. So in mantra meditation or in anything, there are some nice symptoms. You may sometimes get glimpse of beautiful visions, nice lights, spots, flashes, sun, moon, Sometimes you get beautiful sounds, ringing of the bell, gongs, the sound of ocean, sound eh? of teeny cymbals, ting, 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 like that. Eh? There are various kinds. Dasanadam they call it, ten different varieties normally. And it is these things that is depicted in a service, temple service. If you go ever visit a Hindu temple, you will see at a certain time, all the lights will be going in a circular motion, one after the other. Single light, double light, triple light, and then a, a heap of, a bunch of light going round. And during the same time, all the instruments, the gong, the drum, the bell, the pipe, everything will be blowing and singing. That means you get all the sounds and all the lights. Outside, that is what you call a, a Hindu service. But unfortunately, most of the Hindus limit it there itself. They don't think that those things should happen inside. In deep meditation, things should happen within you. All the lights that you see, all the bells that you hear, should happen here. The church bell need not be only in the church. Your body is the church. You should be able to hear the bell within you. The entire service should go within you. And in deep meditation this happens. And once that happens and you are absorbed into that, slowly you sink into samadhi. It's not by your effort at all. Some people say, oh, I just go to samadhi and then come back. <laughs> it's something like, yeah, I just go to sleep, I am sleeping now. And then I'll wake up in half an hour. If any man says I am sleeping now, he's not sleeping. He's not sleeping. <laughs> yeah, sometimes people say I am in samadhi. How on earth they could say that they are in samadhi? Self-contradiction. That's why even the Sastanga Yoga, samadhi is not that something we try. It is the outcome, the product of deep meditation. It has to come by itself, effortless thing. There is no effort at all, like sleep. You can put all your effort to sleep, but when you sleep, no effort. Hmm? Okay. I think we have come to a very high point, Samadhi. Eh?
And probably I just leave you there and not wake you up. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Integral Yoga Multimedia Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe. For more information on Sri Swami Satchidananda and Integral Yoga, please visit us online at integralyoga.org.